What's up, peeps? Before you get into the episode, just a quick message. Did you know that Rebranded Safety is brought to you by Risk Fluent? Rebranded Safety is essentially our campaign to achieve our purpose, which is to make the working world better by Rebranded Safety one interaction at a time. We value a people-centered approach that delivers positive impact on the risk. We deliver three types of services, technical, transformational, and fire. It's the last show I wanted to talk to you about. If you value what we value and you want some support driving a culture change or decluttering your safety systems, or you want to improve human performance and it's our transformational support that can help you, or maybe you want a highly experienced registered fire risk assessor to carry out an assessment on your building, design an emergency plan or review the fire safety design for your new building, then it's our fire support service that can help you. But before you get in touch with us, it's important that you want to have impact on the actual risk and you value a people-centered approach. If you don't, that's fine. You'll find someone that can help you. But if you do value those, then get in touch with us at riskfluentltd.com or email me, james, at riskfluentltd.com. But for now, I'll let you get into the episode. This show is brought to you by Safety FM. What's up, peeps? Welcome back to and Safety. Today is quarterly co-host time, episode two. Let's jump into the intro. I'll tell you some more about it. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity. Health and safety has gone mad. Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviors. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk What's up, peeps? Welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Rebranding Safety is a YouTube channel and podcast doing exactly what it says on the tin we're to change the perception of health and safety and we do that right here on the youtube channel and podcast as well so if you're new hit that subscribe button follow button all of those magical algorithm thingamajigs so welcome back episode two of our quarterly co-hosts i'm really actually enjoying these quarterly co-host segments we've got rob fisher uh, back again to look at the kind of next step in the journey uh, of the kind of uh, human organizational performance, essential leadership cycle, which is what Rob kind of calls it. And that's Rob's podcast as well. Before we get into that, though, just a shout out from our sponsor, our official sponsor of Rebound and Safety podcast and YouTube channel is Paradigm Human Performance and more specifically their HSE subscription service. The perfect solution for those small, medium sized enterprises that are really struggling to kind of juggle all the balls, spin all the plates and so on. And maybe sometimes safety is just that thing that just sits there, which is normally fine. But ultimately, when things hit the proverbial fan, then you're up the creek without a paddle. And this is where this subscription service comes in. Paradigm Human Performance are a human performance expert consultancy. So they're now providing this HSE subscription service to kind of tick so those compliance bo- boxes to make sure that people have got their legal, regulatory and industry compliance uh, all sorted so then they can take the next step into human organisational performance. But what makes this stand out is it's got hot woven through it. It's not the kind of system that you need to declutter later on. So it's that perfect solution for those people that just want to get compliant and then 
they know they want to go into that next step of human and organizational performance. So if you want to get worker safety uh, part of your DNA, if you want to be able to utilize the expertise, the subject matter expertise of the worker, then this is the solution for you. And you can do all that whilst ticking all of those compliance, regulatory, legal and industry compliance boxes and all that. Starting from £99 a month, depending on the size and on what you need and so on. You can contact Paradigm Human Performance with the email address, phone number and website in the description below. If you're still not sure, go to the website and check out the Learning Organisation webinar. That's Paradigms webinar runs every Thursday at 2 p.m. It's an absolute outstanding resource of just amazing, amazing information and quality content, beautiful quality conversations. And the best of it is, is once you register it, you can get access to the whole backlog. So we're talking like nearly two years worth of content. That's about an hour and a half for each webinar. So you've just got hours and hours and hours of content that you can just absorb. So make sure you go check that out. Thank you Paradigm for sponsoring Rebranding Safety. And just a shout out from my company, uh, Project Miletium. So Rebranding Safety is also sponsored by me. Um, and Colin Nottage. Uh, so me and Colin Nottage founded a company called Project Miletium. Project Miletium is a mastermind community. It's a membership business. It's a membership organization aimed to build a community of authentic, and empathetic and understanding safety professionals that just exist together. They want to help each other out. And we facilitate weekly community calls, which are really loose and fast. And we kind of get in or we, we either talk about uh, a topic or we get into someone's challenge. If someone's having a problem or something they need some help with, they'll bring it up and, and we just all dive in to help them out. We also run a book club every month, which is a great opportunity to understand what other people have learned from the book that you've read. We also run a philosophy call. As far as we're aware, it's the only place that's actively talking about philosophical things around safety, actually having those philosophical discussions to really get into the depths of what are these things that we're talking about? What does safe actually mean? What is risk? And um, fundamentally, if we don't understand the philosophical side of what we're talking about, then everything is built on a foundation of sand. So we do that monthly. And then finally, we do quarterly wagon wheels, we call them, but they're like mastermind events. We have a keynote, then we do workshops, and then we have a keynote from one of our members, which then we kind of all get stuck into the challenge that they've raised and we all help them out. And then we finish off with a little goal setting um, workshop for the next quarter. And then we finish off and we go on our way. We've also got a resource library and loads of stuff. Uh, private LinkedIn group, which is just rich, full of uh, information, good chats and so on. So if you want to join this growing community, the mastermind community for the safety profession, then go check out www.projectmiletium.com. Without further ado then, let's get into part two of our conversation with Rob Fisher, our quarterly co-host. Way something went right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like every worker when we finish a task. Oh my God, right? Jesus. What that was painful, that was trying to get that to record and everything that's going on. Rob, welcome back to the podcast. <laughs> It's great to be back as the co-host of is this. It, is it really? Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, yes. As far as you know, it is. Yeah. As far as the public know, everything's honky-dory. It was all <laughs> seamless running up to this. With no right. problems whatsoever. As long as full transparency, we include this in the podcast, it'll be great. <laughs> oh, it's there, mate. It's there. And even if this camera falls down midway through, which I think it might, it will stay in there. 
Right, Rob, why don't you give us a quick introduction um, into yourself and what we're talking about, and also maybe a really brief overview of the last uh, session as well, and then um, a kind of introduction to what we're going to talk about today. That's quite a lot of things I've just asked you to do, but... It, it is, and I'm going to count them off on my fingers. So, well, I'm Rob Fisher. I own a company called Fisher Improvement Technologies over here in the U.S. Uh, we spent the last 30 years helping organizations and individuals understand how, why people make mistakes, especially mistakes that prove to be catastrophic, and how you can do one of three things with mistakes or, or errors. You can prevent some of them, you can mitigate their consequences, or you can reduce their probability so they're not really a factor. And we've helped, again, organizations understand that. Some people call it HOP, some people call it human performance, some people call it performance improvement, advanced error reduction, it goes by a lot of names. What hasn't changed is the science of understanding humans and why we do what we do and why it makes sense to us at the time. And so we've operated in about 40 countries, over 300 companies we've deployed our technology in. And we kind of frame it in, you have to understand the science of mistakes. You have to be able to write guidance in a way that people are willing to follow it uh, for complex systems. And then you have to be able to review your performance in a way that uses those concepts to, to get the real drivers of the behaviors and the organizational systems. So um, I appreciate James letting me join on this. This is our second session. Last time we talked a little bit about the leaders uh, and we started with that because that's where you need to start. Um, and one of the, some of the key elements are if you want somebody to change their paradigm, you've got to give them a paradigm more powerful than the one you're asking them to leave. Now, we talked about that for leaders, but it applies to workers as well. And what you're trying to do with the leaders is get them to change their language and behaviors so that they can then engage and, and use models and processes that then the workforce can model those behaviors. So that was a little bit about what we talked about last time. This time, what we're going to move to is a little bit about workforce buy-in and engagement with the concepts. Uh, how do you ground that in the science, but still make it practically applicable? And, and I, I love to debunk some of the myths, because again, we've been doing this 30 years, and we've gotten to a point now where there's a whole lot of people talking about HOP, but they all like to talk about it from, from a perspective that they like or they understand, and I like to kind of ground that. And, and debunk some of those myths. A lot of people don't like it, but uh, I think we ought to spend some time on that. And, and a little bit of time on worker involvement in the processes. You know, how do we make sure that this is something that's gonna be sustainable because the people wanna do it, as opposed to this thing that is being done to them, what we call uh, um, the leaders making sure that we are doing something together, not we are doing something to you. And then the last thing we want to talk about today that will lead us into, into the next session uh, next month is going to be about integrating the concepts into the day-to-day -day workflow. And that's another hot mistake that people have made is they get, they teach people the concepts and they expect them to use and they give them the tools and all of this other stuff. But the concepts aren't integrated into the day-to-day -day workflow. So all they did was shift using the concepts into this thing, this one more thing they want the worker to do, mm. as opposed to the systems driving the concepts to be dealt with. So that's a little bit about what we're gonna do today.
Nice, nice. Let, let's just get straight into it. Then you talked about um, grounding in the science and making it practic, you know, practically applicable. Like I think that is a massive challenge. Like taking some of those scientific papers and conversations and webinars that people have been on, and actually turning around and making it ap- applicable to like the practicality of work. I think, Rob, that's one of the biggest challenges that people struggle with, if I'm honest. You know, it is, James. And, and unfortunately, and I, you know, maybe there's a little ego here, but maybe it's a lot of experience. Remember, we've been doing this 30 years. Mm. I started as an operator that had to translate the theory into what I needed, what my maintenance technicians needed, what my engineers needed, what the people that worked around me needed. And then we worked it backwards into, okay, what does a supervisor need to know, a manager need to know, and a senior leader need to know? That's how our technology was developed. What it seems to be, what seems to happen out there is somebody goes out and reads one of these technical papers or or a piece of research, and they start to try that cycle all over again. I'm going to take this piece out of that, and I want to take this piece out of that. and, And you don't even talk about this piece over here, which I think is important. But a lot of that work for making it practically applicable has been done. And the, and the application has changed over the years. And I'll give you just an example of that. So there used to be a, a tool, a worker tool called STAR. Yeah. And have you heard of, of the tool, right? Stop, think, act, and review. Yeah. The challenge is, as, as you started going down the road, that turned into stop, turn, and run. Stall till after relief. Shoot, that ain't right. Start thinking about resumes, start typing another resume, shoot things already running. I could go on for days, but, but what most people don't know is that tool was actually created from the tool before it. And that was called slit Vamo. So we asked people to stop, locate, touch, verify. Uh, I don't even remember all of them, but what we were asking people to do was seven steps to do one step of a process that wasn't practically applicable, but we didn't know that back then. So that kind of developed into star. And then after a few years, we started thinking, well, hold on a minute, stop, think, act and review. You don't tell people what to think or how to think. And the most important component of star was verbalization. So star then became verbalized point and touch because The verbalization is what slows your mind down to the speed at which your body can perform. Mm. So so all of the research on how our brain works and how that all gets encompassed in something like a single tool, but that tool has improved over the years. That's practical application, is workforce feedback on what works for them. Mm. Did you use STAR? Oh, hell yeah. I stopped during and ran. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I saw the thing was already running. So and that um, that um think uh, what is it think and say and do, and touch and do or point and do I can't remember isn't that what like the Japanese um speed trains use or something like that? Yeah. So so the verbalized piece and and if, if we really dug into this and, and, and you know it's important that we ground people in the science. We need to tell workers how their brain works. Yeah. You got you know, 6 billion different concepts of how their brain works. Mm. But if you tell them, this is how the human brain works. When you verbalize, your brain can only, so first, less than 2% of the human population can multitask and they don't work for you. 
So let's set those people off to the side. And every person listening to this right now goes, nah, nah, I can, I can multitask. I, I can do it. So, yeah. so that's a great thing. If, they're, if you're listening to this and you think you can do it, I want you to do a test. I want you to take your mate and I want you to sit down in front of the TV. And I want you to pull up your favorite news program that has both the talking head and the scroll at the bottom. Mm. And what I want you to do is I want you to read the scroll in a way that you could tell that per your mate what the scroll says. And then I want you to I want your mate to ask you questions on what the talking head said. Mm. You can do that with anybody. You're, I'm not trying to convince Gen Xers and millennials and Gen Zers and whatever the next, we're done with Z. I don't know what the next generation is going to be called, but, but I think we started way late in the alphabet. And, and <laughs> yeah. Hang on a minute. We didn't have a Gen A, did we? So no, no. Some, somebody's gone that wrong there, haven't they? Yeah, never, way wrong there. I have totally <laughs> never realized that, like, you know, Gen Z. Hang on a minute. We've got, we've barely got any letters left, mate. Yeah, that's right. There's none. We're going to create it. We could use the Cherokee alphabet, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But um, I diverge. Yeah. So you can't tell the current generations and the next generations that they can't multitask, but you can show them. And, and as we have those conversations, you say now, what you can do is verbalize the task you're on. When you verbalize, your brain has no choice but to be on, the, on what you're saying. And then you have a, a exponential chance of getting that right, of reading the procedure step right, of doing the step right, of putting your IKEA furniture together right, mm -hmm. of it, all of those things come together because your brain can't be anywhere else except what you're saying. So STAR, the big element that made STAR work was always the verbalization, this one little piece of verbalization that used to be in the think phase. Because mm. the S was never a stopity stop stop. It was always a slow down. Yeah, pause. To do what? Think, well, how do I think about this very thing? I verbalize. Mm. And that winds up being the key. So if we can... So instead of where years ago, we used to have to try to convince people that they should walk around talking to themselves. <laughs> and, you know, we, we, I'll never forget a, a fellow here in the U.S. said, man, if I, if I have to walk around that plant talking to myself, people are going to think I'm as crazy as a pet raccoon. <laughs> well, not if everybody's doing it, but that's okay. But what about if you verbalize so that you make sure that your brain is focused on this critical step? Mm -hmm. And he said, um, this is a, you know, union electrician said when he walked out into the plant and tried that one time, from that moment, he taught every apprentice that that was the method for making sure you were on the right component, you were doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. you were. So again, that's the practical application that if you ground it in the science, these workers get it. Mm -hmm. But too many people think that you've got to strip the science out because it's just theory so when we start stripping things out, strip out the science. They don't need that. Oh, yeah, they do. Because that's what convinces us that we're doing the right thing. Yeah, it kind of shows that it's not just Rob's, Rob, another Rob's crazy ideas in a way. It, it Actually, people have tried and tested this. 
yeah and, and it yeah. works yeah and you know for us we've had we we've stopped counting now mm. but at, at about 350,000 students globally mm. so it's not like this hasn't been tested a few times <laughs> and uh, and another thing that's fascinating like i actually tried um when i first read about the uh the verbal the verbalization of of those tasks i tried it when i was driving and it's so eye-opening how much driving how much you those little actions that are unconscious saying them makes them so conscious and you're yeah. less, you're just like Oh, hang on a minute. And what you realize is when you're verbalizing it, you're like, well, actually, I verbalized this point and I verbalized that point. But there was like six points in between those two verbalizations that I didn't verbalize because they were just so unconscious to me. Um, and it's actually really difficult in a way, like press clutch, change gear, bring up the accelerator slightly. But then it was just like, what? <laughs> How am I supposed to yeah. verbalize this? It's crazy. So that's a great point, James, because, you know, we, we've done a lot of work in incorporating the newer understanding of system one and system two thinking yeah. into that. And what then what you can do is say, all right, if I've done that, it's okay to push the clutch and turn your turn signal on and push the brake in system one. I can do those unconsciously. Mm. When you know that, then you can also understand that when I look to check to see if somebody's in the other lane, that's something I want, may want to verbalize and verify on the other lane. There's nobody there. So, so it helps you with saying, I don't have to say everything out loud, but you know, everybody, any, anybody that's listening to this uh, has probably had uh, an electric garage door opener. And, and uh, I don't know why I say electric garage door, door opener. I guess there's some people out there that have gas garage door openers that I don't know about. But anyway. Well, I've just yeah, never had I'm, one. Mine's always been mechanical, but I'm, I must be working class. <laughs> <laughs> so so a, a garage door opener or the hair dryer or the stove that you can ask people in, in the group, how many of you have ever driven away from your house and wondered whether the garage door was closed or the mm -hmm. hairdryer was unplugged or the curling iron or the stove was off or the iron was off? And everybody relates to that. So now we're in the science of the human brain. Mm -hmm. But then when you give the practical application, did you know that when you're pushing the button, I'm closing the garage door, the garage door is closed. When you drive away, that person that drives a forklift for a living, that today at 10 a.m. is driving the forklift and thinks, shit, did I, oh, can I say that? Shucks, right, can I, fine. you can swear. Can I, can I, uh, did I close my garage door? That's a mental distraction. Now they're trying to drive their forklift and remember whether their garage door is closed yeah, or not, yeah, yeah. which is multitasking. Yeah. So when you start connecting distractions with multitasking and the number of people that can handle, we, we connect all those. Um, and then you have to talk about how the tools reduce probability for those things. And that's one of the myths of tools. The tools aren't things you give people because once you give it to them, it's going to prevent all errors. They're not error prevention tools. They're error reduction tools. And there's a lot going around now that the tools aren't a big thing. Bravo, Sierra. They're a big thing to this person on this task at this time. And what we've seen is that people that learn them use them 
despite whether the system will protect them or not. Because that final barrier still needs something. That need hadn't gone away. So that individual that has now convinced themselves, I'm closing the garage door, the garage door is closed. I never have to think about that again because it's filed in a different part of my brain. It's in my completed actions file now. Did you close valve CV 316? Yeah, yeah, I closed it. Are you sure? Because we found it open. No, no, I remember closing it. But if that individual verbalizes, I'm closing valve CV 316, they know it's then closed. And it's not done in system one. So that that the other thing about verbalization is it drives things to system two, where you have conscious thought. And that makes sure that you have a higher probability that you do the right thing and that you remember doing that thing. Mm. Why would I not tell workers that? Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I think there's, there's one thing you mentioned in that, in that little kind of monologue there of that, that I think is really important to pick out is that it's not about using these tools. Like you don't want to verbalize everything because then right. it just becomes a, it just becomes another job that they've got to do. And then the verbalization itself eventually will become a kind of automatic pilot as well. And, and nothing you take seriously, but if you can highlight those things that are kind of critical, you know, those kind of safety critical points, maybe, or, or, or like, I don't know, I'm thinking about attaching to the anchorage system, you know, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm touching to the, I'm, I'm attaching to the anchorage line and I'm attaching to my harness. Like that is critical. Like if you're working at high, no edge and all that stuff, that's something I want you to verbalize, you know, and, 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 and actually think that stuff out. And I think the example that you made about driving, say that stuff out loud, sorry, um, that the example you gave about driving re- recently literally works for me. I remember being at uh, only a few weeks ago, gone to a local kind of retail park, really busy, hectic when it's busy there. So it's just a nightmare. It's poorly designed and everything. And you get there and you're just like, whoa, Jesus Christ. And it's so busy that you see a parking spot. It's like gold dust. So you can imagine what it's like. Everyone's like, whoa, off we go. And, and, I, and we're going in and very long story short, it's like when it's busy, it's split into two lanes. I don't know why they don't just split into two lanes anyway, but whatever. It's split into two lanes. So you have this guy in the middle of the road, just like telling everyone like, and I'm, I'm just like, so I'm conscious that guy's in the road. This guy's in front of me, cuts me up to go to a parking space. So I'm, I'm conscious of that car there. I'm conscious of the car inside of me uh, to my right. And then I see a, a, a kind of family parking space to the left. And I just go, I indicate and go, what I didn't do is check my mirror. And I turned and there was a boy on his bike. Granted, he shouldn't have been in the road, but he just went bang into the side of my car. Luckily, thank God he was okay. I was okay. The car was okay. But, you know, he was okay was a priority. This ended up with a whole shit storm where this woman came over and like, and like jesus christ i felt bad enough as it, as, as, it, as it was right. you know what i mean but the little boy was fine he was really embarrassed bless him and and anyway and it made me think about how unconscious that that process is so now for the next couple of weeks i'm really conscious when i'm turning left but then i'm also conscious of those times those times when i've turned left and right and i haven't checked my mirrors so if i'd have gone if i'd have had it common practice in me being like Am I turning? I'm going to check my mirrors. 
if I'd have verbalized that, I'm turning, so I'm going to check my mirror. Like, would it, would it, would that have made a difference? Do you know what I mean? I think it would have. Yeah, absolutely. For both you and that little boy, who yeah. we have a potentially fatal situation here. Yeah, definitely. That definitely. turned out good. Well, I think luck is a terrible barrier and hope is a terrible strategy. So we try to build these barriers in, not that they're not that these pieces of the cheese aren't going to have holes in them, but at least you have something there. Mm. So over here in the States, they've started to institute these, these newfangled traffic things. I think they're called roundabouts. Oh, they're not newfangled, mate. We've been doing that. Oh, for years. they're new they're newfangled. <laughs> They're flawless, mate. There's a beautiful bit of design there, mate. Once you get used to it, you'll be fine. That's right. So once you get used to it. But what I've found is that before, you didn't have to worry if you were going to take a left or a right or go straight. But now I've got to verbalize which exit of the roundabout I need to take to go to the place that I want to go, or I'm stuck on the roundabout another round. So it seems silly, but this whole conversation is, is very important that, again, got left out of, uh, of a lot of hop deployments. And that is you give the workforce things that will work for them at home, and they'll do them at work. Mm. If you give them something you want them to do at work, they might do it there, but they ain't going to do it at home. Mm. So it's probably the same in England as it is in the U.S. Uh, over 80% of um, serious life-altering injuries happen at home, not at work. Mm. So if these organizations truly have a value that they want their people to be safe, and you see that all the time in organizational values, right? We value the safety of our employees. Do you? And the question mm. would be, if you do, do you value their safety at home and, and at work? Yeah. And if you, you do, you carry on. I can hear you. Know, just shutting my window. And if you do value that, are you giving them things that work for them and their families at home so that they can play with them a little bit, just like you did with verbalization mm. and get their own light bulb? Definitely. You can't. You can't take that shit away from people once they realize it works for them at home. Mm. Yeah. So the so there's three main tools that 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 work to do that. Verbalize point and touch, and that's for skill based and and high rule based folk. Yeah. Um, step by step, which is how we ought to follow processes, and stop and seek out help when you're not sure. If you do those and you teach people how to know that they're unsure instead of just say unsure, here, here, here are the characteristics of unsuredom. Then what you do when you're talking, talking to the workers, when you're involving them in the process of how this is all going to get integrated, um, then they're actually telling you where those can be built in as a part of how they do work. Then it's their idea. It's not yeah. management pushing this thing on them. And and so if people would ask, does that work? I'll tell you this. Ten years after we deployed at, at a major factory, about 2,500 people 
had the opportunity to stop into that town and go back in and visit some of the folks that 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 we'd known 10 years ago many of whom had moved on to other things and brought us in at other places many of whom were, were still there doing the same job they were doing so was walking around with one of the managers and we walked up to a maintenance crew and uh the manager introduced you know this is the guy that introduced us to that hp and the the union worker said oh that hp shit we don't do that anymore and and my heart just crushed and i went oh well, oh well, you know i guess hey thank thanks for that <laughs> and then we proceeded to watch the crew do their briefing and use every hp concept do their work and use every hp concept so it's not a program it's a way we do business that's true integration when the third generation of workers does it and doesn't even know they're doing it. So they were doing it, but they were like, oh, we don't do that shit anymore. But they were doing exactly it. because oh, they weren't doing human performance. That's weird. But they they're, they're talking about the pre in the pre-task briefing and saying, okay, who here's going to be uh, in knowledge-based performance mode? Who who is this a no first way. time task for? Or um or how many of you haven't done this in the last six months? And three people were saying, okay, we're gonna go a little bit deeper into this briefing. They okay. say, uh, all right, now in these steps of the process, we really wanna verbalize because we know that if we mess it up here, we're gonna to have to go back and do it. Good, okay, Bob, you're gonna do it. And they get out in the, get out in the uh, field and that's what they did. They did what they briefed. Mm. And then they came back and they did what we want them to do. They debriefed the task. You know, they just asked the four simple questions of a debrief. And the, this generation of workers knew that that helped them with their performance from their previous jobs, but they didn't know they were doing HOP or HP. That's exactly what you want. And the quicker you can get there, the better you are. But so many people just think that HOP is about training the workers, giving them tools, and then blaming them for not using the right tool to get out of trouble. And that's, that's just never been what it's about it's so interesting that that it i it just sounds like reminiscent of behavioral based safety doesn't it like if you listen to 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 scott geller like he literally says exactly the same as what you just said except it like it, it's about his system instead of instead of the hop system or whatever like it we are just slowly sip, slipping into just when into the same shit in that we're going to have a, a safety differently differently in a few years and a and a hop a hop point two in in a few years because we've just taken those helicopter phrases and then tried to implement this system that's going to solve all of our problems without fundamentally i suppose to come to the point of this of this conversation without fundamentally grounding it in the science uh, yeah absolutely and I, and I think that, and that's one of the big myths, right? Is that workers don't need to know the science. Mm. They need to understand the science the right way. If you, if you give them humans, if you give them human error to read, that ain't going to work. Mm. You, you give the workers a book to read, that's not going to work. It's already been broken down into what works. So what, what I'll tell leaders every now and then, and, and, and we kind of, you know, because there's so much out there now, 
we tell people, look, we're a little bit different. They say, well, how can you be different? I say, well, because we've done it right for 30 years. So there's some, there's some, some things out there that where people try to do things differently to be unique in a way that it worked well in their head. That doesn't mean it's going to work for 3,000 workers, 100 managers, and, and five mm. senior leaders. Mm. And, and, it's, and it's glitzy. You know, and, and people like it, but that doesn't mean it works. No, and I do think as well, like one of the biggest issues we've had with safety, like non-hop safety, like safety one, whatever you want to call it, was the assumption that a standardized approach works. And, and, I, and I think that still like for especially for more complex work or complex systems like standardization doesn't really work when you've got something as complex as a human involved it may work for some things but not for everything and i think we run down the same risk with hop in that we think that we can just do a standardized approach with hop for everything but actually hop yeah. sometimes but it doesn't work for everything well it i i think we have an interesting um change the, a little bit of difference. I don't want to say a difference of views because that implies 180 out, but I think we may have a, a little divergence in that. It, what I think the mistake was in trying to quote unquote standardize safety was think that that's the only part. Yeah. So, so now yeah. even today you hear people talk about, well, you can't standardize everything. All right, well, you give me a list of the fatal hazards we shouldn't cover. Mm. by standard work i want that list and then we'll talk no no that's not what we mean yeah but that's what you said yeah so let's so let's figure out and what we've always done is work in the middle and work in the margins so that and people talk about what like what you said a standardized approach to hop doesn't work well again we've done 300 companies it's not 5,000 companies it's only 300 i don't know anybody in the hop world that's done more and for the first probably five elements of a hop deployment, I can't show you this much variability. Okay. The senior leaders need to understand the science in a certain way. They need to change their, their language and behaviors. They need to learn to engage on that. The, the workers need to be taught a certain way to change their paradigms. We know what way works. What do you change about those five things? Now, how does Alcoa incorporate it into their day-to-day -day work? How does Rio Tinto incorporate it into theirs? How does Lindley's incorporate it into theirs? That's where the flexibility comes in. Mm, the challenge yeah. is people provide it with ambiguity. And there's a difference between flexibility and ambiguity, which takes us back to the whole safety, um, standardization of safety. People think that this is the line you have to stay on to standardize safety and you got to stay on that line. And what I would say is, here's your box, stay in the box. Mm. But what people do is say, there's a box out there, go find it and get in it. The difference between flexibility and ambiguity. Yeah, so I, I think for me, I think maybe I didn't, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And, and, and the point is, as I'm thinking, I think maybe I didn't say it correctly. Like, I think the standardized approach from my point of view is, is the assumption that risk is this really linear thing and and uh, 
that we can have the same amount of very stringent safety practices for a puddle of water on the floor as we do for a working at height with no edge protection. Like for me, there's lots of flexibility yeah. for a puddle on the floor. There is loads of flexibility in how we can deal with that, when we deal with it, you know, and 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 how we stop that happening. Just a, the, 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 I always use like a like a wavy line, like it's kind of ebbs and flows and the, and the lines kind of, they come apart in the low risk stuff because that's the amount of freedom we've got within that framework. And then, and then it kind of bottlenecks when we come to that high risk work because that's where actually the tolerances of what you can and can't do are tighter because the, the severity is tighter. And I think we've gone with this standardized approach to safety and we've turned people off from safety because yeah. we've gone, right, wear a high high vis when should you wear a high vis well you should wear it when we can't segregate you from moving vehicles now nah, Spanish screw- prostitutes have to wear a high vis yeah that, screw that let's just wear high vis all the time because that's much easier for us to manage but what I think it does is and, and people get really funny with me when I say this it devalues the PPE and it, and that could that example could be used for everything we've done it with risk yes. assessments we've done it for permit to work we devalue that process by using it too much and using it where actually it's not needed. And so when people actually need it, they don't they don't it. have the respect for it. Yeah, exactly. They think it's bullshit. And we're, we're, we're doing yeah. the exact same thing with all of the safety differently, hot practices, the whole thing. We're like, hey, when you're turning your computer on, why don't you verbalize it and point it? It's like, no, fuck off. Like that is for those high risk practices where I want them to stop and think about this. Not and and the everything. other thing that people have, yeah, that, that's a great point. So one of the things that, that we've done, and I was just showing somebody that, some slides on this yesterday at a client, is that, that really we've got this line. And if, we, if you put it in a statistical process control map, you've got the, the fluctuating safety threat that's down here, right? And it fluctuates on all the different things. So we created the task-based system that says the fluctuation of that risk is based on people, programs, processes, work environments, organization, equipment. Mm. Those are the things that fluctuate on risk. So now I've got to teach someone to look at that system that way. Mm. And, and then you can, we draw our line, work is imagined. And then we get the workers together and say, okay, how do you have to do this? That draws our upper and lower control limits. Mm. And now we tell them, stay inside those yeah and you're probably going to be safe mm-hmm. so what i would say is that's a standardized approach to changing how we look at safety yeah so i and, and so one of the things that i see happening because i think we're kind of in violent agreement on this right mm-hmm. one of the things that i see happening is somebody tries to use that use a standardized approach to a standardized approach and mm-hmm. and Look, one of the things I know I'll probably get in trouble for this one, but how many times have we heard after the safety differently video came out that, well, that's all great, but I don't work work at Woolworths. Mm. I work in a plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all the concepts go out the window because we didn't sit down with the workers and say, here's how this applies to you. Mm. And the so the concepts and things like delivery become standardized, the non-standardization, the complexity comes with the worker involvement in the process. 
That's who, that's who helps you draw the allowance of variability on any given task. Because the reality, if somebody's in the, uh, in the oil and gas business and they uh, are dealing with a system that has hydrogen sulfide in it, uh, I don't know that that task should have a lot of variability in it, especially when the process safety have, has already been looked at from an engineered risk perspective, that that's what bothers me a little bit about about how you know you know the workers will be as safe as they have to. Yeah, unless I've got something that is complex related to process safety that is already written in blood that I need to tell that worker that hey, your gap on this is narrow. You don't have a lot of flexibility on this. Because the last person that used flexibility on this, they died. Yeah, and I, and I I do think there is some there's some give and take to it, isn't there? Like I think that sometimes, and and this is the criticism that that the kind of new view safety differently community get from the community that don't agree is that there is a perception that what we're doing is just saying hey, trust the people, off they go, and people never make mistakes, and people are perfect. No, no, that's actually far from what we're saying. What we're saying is, except that humans are very innovative and they do solve problems, but sometimes the problem might be the safety system which causes them to harm themselves, because ultimately the term safe is relative. What I think is safe Every time. what you think is safe is very different. And, and this so, is, I, I don't think COVID, I don't feel anything better than COVID has proved how relative yeah. the term safe is. So take, take that phrase that you just said, and we're going to flip it on its head. And here's what I tell leaders. Unsafe is your perception after the fact, knowing more than the individual in the moment. Exactly. Exactly. So if safety is relative... And we will look at it differently. Now, again, we could go off a whole day on talking about how different personalities see and manage risk differently. We've got all of that profiled in our, in our lessons. You know, we know that, that doers see, see risk completely differently from relators mm. and they manage it differently. So I have to accommodate that piece. That doer doesn't think they're being at risk when they're doing the task. But that relator would look at it and say, I would never do that. Mm. All right. Well, there's things that the relator may never do. Because we come back to those things that you said earlier. You meant you 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 mentioned a couple of performance modes, which are really common in, in hop. So like those that don't know about performance modes, it's funny, I was talking about these in a project meeting call yesterday. Um, and 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 I think that relates to this conversation and that you've got the I always get them the wrong way around, but you've got the kind of knowledge-based performance mode. So someone that's new to the task, rule-based, so someone's like that they know the task, but something's a little bit different. So they're kind of following the rules, kind of like me driving, you driving around a roundabout, for example, would be a good example of rules-based. You can drive, but you're not really sure about roundabouts. And then you've got the skills-based where, you know, people 100% competent, you know, experience and so on. And I think what people don't realize sometimes is that that skills-based employee is also very used to working with that risk. So if that skills base has been developed over many years where 
we've just worked at the edge of the roof with no edge protection and harness, then we need to kind of come in and offer that diversity of thought and say, hey, just fit that kind of professional devil, devil's advocate, I call it, in like just saying, hey, Rob, I know you've been doing this for years, mate, but what do you think about, you know, how kind of close you are to the edge of that of that kind of high-rise building and how easy it would be for you to fall off? Well, I've done this for years. And then that's when this framework tightens up for me. That's when we tighten up. You know, sometimes there's, I think there's this assumption that this new view, safety differently, we, we assume that all people kind of will manage the risks themselves. No, I don't think that's what we're saying. What we're saying is we appreciate, we kind of have the deference to the expertise on the, on the shop floor and we listen to them and we hear them. But ultimately... Yeah we create a framework which they can operate within. And, and I've seen that James is a messaging problem. Yeah, not definitely. a, not a philosophical problem. Oh, 100%. And, you know, I've, I've had issue. some of this, I've had these conversations with some of the thought leaders in these areas. And I said, look, you know, I speak operator and technician and manager. Mm. So when you want to message something, talk to somebody that knows what those people need to hear to shift their paradigm. Because that conversation that you had with that worker up there on the roof may be effective while you're there, but it doesn't necessarily shift their paradigm to see that they're at risk. Yeah. yeah. So, so that though we we have to teach leaders how to do those engagements. Mm. Um, you know, some people want to throw cardinal rules or rules to love by or live by or life saving rules. They want to throw those out the window. So well. Why don't we change the way people look at those? Mm. You, you don't want to give people information on the top 10 things that have killed people in the world in the last 10 years. Or you want to make that information available, but then let people use it however they want to. It's not about whether they're going to violate those rules. Don't create rules about what, whether people violate or comply with them. Create understanding of the people of that hazard and when they may be in that hazard and what they can do about that hazard. Mm, yeah. 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 There, there's a, there's an over, there's an over focus on the individual tools. I think a lot of the time we're actually fundamentally, it's not really the tool that's the problem. It was how that tool was used. You know what I mean? If you're using a spanner to bang in a nail, it's not the spanner's fault. It's that, the user's fault. That's exactly right. And, and, and look, <laughs> that goes back to the people that either tried to do, um, tried to just say, and, and look, the U.S. utility business is the ones that did this. I'll just come clean. We spread all around the world. You need to do this this way. Came from the nukes, spread to the utilities. Utilities went out to other people. And now, I mean, still today, you hear people babbling about the, the 13 tools that need to be used and, and, I know three work for an individual. I don't know about the, I don't know about the rest of them, but if you get those three, right, you're in that, you're in that Pareto. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, you're absolutely right. It's how we talked about them, how we taught them, how we tried to modify them and how we expected people to use them, not the tool itself. Yeah. Cause all the, you know, the tools are actually grounded in the science. Yeah. Because it's fascinating when you when you kind of look at this. I think um, it was a safety of work podcast. You had a great episode around um, like rule based. No, yeah, rule, they 
it was either two podcasts one was about rules and the other one was about legislation but like in the uk we operate for goal-based legislation so you know do as far as reasonably practicable and all that now personally i think that's a beautiful bit of legislation it gives us a lot of freedom within the framework but ultimately we have to do something um i think it deals with the complexity of work really well but actually the result of it has been over the years the general populace is just desperate for rules they're just like well i just want black and white i just want black and white like so just tell me what i can and can't do and um, i've spent literally my entire career going it's not as simple as that we need to work together to work out what we think is right and wrong based on the guidance based on our conversations yeah. with our workers and but and work out what works and we we've now got to a point where actually which brings us on really nicely to our next point we're blaming a lot of these tools so we're saying like permits to works don't work risk assessments are shit but fundamentally as tools are not the issue in my opinion the mass lack of worker involvement in the process was fundamentally our main issue if we treat worker involvement like consultation we just have to we've made the decision and now we need to get their feedback and that's it no 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 it, need, it needs to be worker involvement the whole way yeah. through that it's not the tool's fault it's how you use the tool you had the wrong and, people in the room yeah and, and and going beyond tools how and where you use the concepts mm. and it's kind of the two last points we want to talk about worker involvement and integrating the concepts into day-to-day -day work go hand in hand yeah. And, um, you know, the, it's not just about the tools, but conceptually, how do we use this? So what we've done um, over the years is we create a, an internal consultant called an advocate. They've got about three times as much education in the exact same concepts as the average manager or worker. But by doing that, the concepts become theirs. And when somebody wants to have a hop conversation, there's not a consultant involved. There's a another worker that, and what we tell organizations is, is advocates ought to make up about 10% of your population and 50% of the advocates ought to be from the floor, direct floor workers. Mm. So at any given moment, somebody has somebody that knows three times more than they do about the concepts, how to use them, how to put them in, not just the tool, but conceptually, why does this work? Mm. You know, they know more about skill-based, rule-based and knowledge-based than just the they exist and here's what they are. Yeah. They, they, they can help people in task briefings and, and in daily management and in gimbal walks and, and they help the managers and they understand deviation better so they can help the managers understand that that rule that they thought got violated actually had four of the five major traps embedded in the rule that made the probability that that was going to get deviated from higher. Mm. That's what we're going to have to fix anyway, if, if we need that rule. So um, 
we start that worker involvement with the creation of these advocates. Okay. And, and again, if you do it right, you can't ever take it away from somebody. Mm. So we've had a couple of organizations that, that replaced everybody at the top after we'd already deployed, but they had, you know, 20, 30, 40 advocates out there in the field. So when the new leadership came in and said, well, we're going to do the lean this way, or we're going to do this this way. You had 30 people that said, all right, just consider these concepts and how they work. And they were able to upskill the leadership. Because so they acted as like conduits of communication from the, from the floor. And, and, yeah, and it's more than communicate. Communication is the minimum. But the reality is these advocates live it every day. Mm. You know, I can't, I can't tell you the last week that I've gone that a previous advocate, sometimes from 10, 12, 15 years ago, emails me and says, hey, I just wanted you to know I'm still using this today. And here's how I'm using it every day at home and at work. Mm. It's that the advocates are living it. And that means they're involved. I mean, we have, we, have, we have clients that the workers are lining up to be advocates because they want that additional ability to help protect themselves and their peers. And they wanna be a part of integrating it so that it, it, so that it, it becomes how we do work. And, you know, these advocates have the unique ability to change, change leaders' minds in some ways. Mm. So I'll never forget there was a facility that, that had a fatality. And what the facility had really kind of a, the leadership had abandoned the concepts. Leadership weren't using it. And really what the, the workforce was using it to help protect themselves. Right. But they, they had a new worker and, and, this individual stuck their head where it shouldn't be, and it wound up being a fatality. And the leader said, you know, they should have been more careful. They should have paid more attention. Uh, you know, they should have thought more. They should have had more situational awareness. All the things we hear, right? That a leader that understands hop wouldn't say because they know they're not true. Mm. So I'll never forget this advocate from 10 years earlier grabbed the leadership team took him out, stood him in the place that the worker was and said, okay, here's what you see. What are you going to do? And every single senior leader did this. Nice. You just lost and your the, fucking head, mate. And the advocate said, your head's cut off. Oh, nice. Your head's cut off. Nice. Your head's cut off. Your head's cut off. Now let's go back to the room and talk about how we change a system that so advocates are the worker involvement in the process. Mm. And I, I guess some of the, either some of the people that are out there doing hop, they don't use that part or they don't understand the importance or they let the clients talk them out of the money to create that internal competency. But, you know, we talk about capacity and resilience and we talk about, um, highly reliable organizations. You're not going to do that without the equivalent of internal consultants. We didn't do lean without it. We didn't do BBS without it. Mm. We didn't, you know, there's no substantial, substantial 
performance improvement strategy that's ever worked without internal uh, capacity. Mm. Uh, one thing on that, Rob, that I do think, so like that's such a good, powerful story, such a good story that you've given there. Like, and, and I think what, what that advocate created in that moment was empathy. That, that uh, advocate created a sense of empathy in the leaders. So they understood what that worker was going through in that moment. So they, to use my grandma's old saying, you know, they put themselves, he forced those leaders to put themselves in the shoes of the worker. One thing I personally think that we are not very good at is understanding that empathy is a two-way street. And I think that we need leaders to understand what the workforce are experiencing. But I also think we need to uh, do a lot better at enabling the workforce to understand the challenge of leaders as well. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I think we've seen such a good... I think you could look at British politics... You could probably look at many other politics around the world, but I only really know about British politics as a very good example in that I think a lot of leaders in British politics make very poor decisions, not because of lack of competence, not because of corruption or anything like just, just because of a fear of blame, because they ultimately are a leader. And I think we can see many versions of that in organizations where leaders are scared to communicate a decision or leaders are uh, kind of scared to involve the workforce because the workforce are blaming them just as much as the leaders of, and it, this perpetual cycle of blame. Yeah, so, so that, th there's two things I wanna mention on that because we are in way agreement on this. Um, you have to give the leader tools just like you give the worker tools mm. and you've got to get those and we talked a little bit about this last time right yeah so if i don't give the leader the ability to understand deviations they're going to always be calling it a violation i can't ever get that empathetic understanding relationship between the leadership and the workforce mm. until i teach the leaders how to do that mm. but the other thing that we do is called values-based engagements and, and a values-based engagement says, you have to teach a leader to go out and have a conversation that isn't about the work. So we've got two kinds of leaders, leaders that came up through the work and all they wanna talk about is how they did that work and leaders that have never done the work and all they wanna do is avoid talking about how that work is done. Mm. And then we send them out in the field and we say, you're supposed to do uh, worker observations. And so those two, yeah, not, not to mention the four personality types, but those two types go out there and one of them says, I know how to do the work and I'm going to analyze to see if they do the work the way I know that work should be done. Mm. And that's going to become my observation. And it's all about the work, the method. We call those method-based observations. There's a, there's a place for them. But if you can get leaders to do what we call values-based engagements, then they're actually having a conversation with the workforce about a value. And nothing creates co-empathy like a discussion of values. Mm. And uh, so I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, the leaders had cardinal rules and they had this thing that said managers are supposed to go out and, and continuously enforce the cardinal rules of, you know, of safety. 
And I asked the VP, I said, is that really what you want? You want a bunch of cops out there writing tickets that are managers trying to catch people speeding every day. And then you find them and the fine is in the form of discipline or letter in their file or whatever. No, no, that's not what it's for at all. We, we want to help them not die. So yeah, but when you go out and engage with them, their belief is that you wrote these rules to catch them doing stuff so you could get rid of them. So when you go out and ask people, tell me about the cardinal rules and how they help keep you safe. What they got a lot of was they don't. Mm. We only pay attention to them because you say we have to. And the only time we hear about them is when that guy, that person over there violates them. Yeah. And I had a senior leader that is not normally prone to this moved to tears over the fact that he wanted to help save people's lives and, and help keep them safe. And the workforce thought it, it was there to punish them. Just Those the conversations let the workers understand what the leaders were really trying to do and where they were really coming from. And the leaders understand what the workers needed. And in one week, it completely changed the conversations. Mm. I just don't, I don't think any, anyone should ever underestimate the power of just talking to someone and asking good questions. Like if you want to integrate any concepts into the day-to-day work, just go and ask people good open questions. And that works both ways. Like Absolutely. You, you're a worker, go and ask the leaders. You're a safety professional and, and you're pissed off of your leaders. Start asking them open questions as well about, you know, what do they think those those cardinal rules are for and what do they think they do? And you'll get a real insight into actually these leaders don't just hate people and they just want to whip them into shape. They think they're keeping people safe. They think that these accidents and incident reports and these, these rag charts and these watermelon reporting, they think that that is giving them, um, making them safe. And I think, um, I can't, I don't know if it's David Proven that said it or someone else that says it, but like this, I think it's David Proven. It's such a great example. One of them says, you know, oh, why, why do you always just use these, these accident and incident charts and all these, you just want me to count accidents at LTI rates and tripper rates and all this. And, and the leader turns around and says, well, that's because that's all you've ever given me. And it's yeah. just the power of asking questions is just phenomenal. Let's get leaders who go on the shop floor and say, how can I help you today? Or what makes this job safe? Or do I need to do anything else to make it safer? Oh my God, the value you get out of that is unbelievable. And, and so what most people don't realize is that in order to get the leaders to do that, you have to take those observations off their plate. Mm. So mm. shift it. We, what I, I tell, I tell leadership teams. So I, I meet with you, I give you the concepts and I give you three tools because I'm, we're going to give the worker three tools, right? Mm. I give the work, the leaders, three tools to use. You're either going to use them or not. If you don't, then doesn't matter. I'm not going to come back anyway, because if I can't get you to use them, you're not going to be able to get the workforce to use them. Mm. If I can't get you to use the concepts, they're not going to use them. 
if it's not going to be in your day-to-day -day work, it's not going to be in their day-to-day -day work. So I, I tell a leadership team, right now you're out there doing your observations in whatever ratio, one a week, one a month, whatever stupid number you have, which look, I get it. You have to assign a number before you get quality because you'll never get quality unless you assign a number. It also so needs to be in a spreadsheet and then make sure that it produces either a pie chart or a bar chart. And then we know that it's quality. Right. And, and a red or a yellow or a green. Of course. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, can't, I missed heat, that out. I'm obviously you missed not competent. the heat map. I can't believe you didn't think about the heat I map. I know, right? <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, look, y'all have your rules for leadership. And, and so if you want a, a good key performance indicator, I want you to go out and, and count the percentage of your management observations that happen in the last five days of the month. And it gets quiet. Yeah. Well, you know, you have, you say they need three a month and all three of 75% of the people happen in the last week of the month. You don't have an effective observation program. Mm. So here's what we're going to do. Take half of your observations and turn them into values-based engagement. No card. No, uh, no documentation requirement, but the requirement is when you go out and have this engagement at tomorrow's morning meeting, you tell the leadership team what you learned. Yeah. And if it's important, the leadership team discusses, okay, what are we going to do about that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have um, worked for a company that had, uh, that, that was probably one of the worst companies I've ever worked for. And, um, they had these lovely values on their lanyards and on their walls and shit like this. So they never lived. They never lived. And 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 we were talking in this meeting, this project meeting once, and talking about culture and stuff. And 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 the the leader of oh, there was such a good example, Rob, as workers done workers imagine. They had this office, this head office up north, and that that was how they thought the rest of the world operated, which was far from what a a kind of care and support um, housing unit in central London that like completely different to this beautiful office you had up north. And, and I remember trying to kind of talk about this and there were, we were all talking about these, so many people were like, we should just go and do behavioral observations or we should just go this. And I said, well, why don't you just take those, take those values off the wall and just go and ask people, how, how do we care? That was one of the values. How do we care? Well, what, what yeah but can you give me a form i said you don't need a form you've got the fucking values are on your lanyard mate so if you forgot them maybe they shouldn't be your values because if you need a lanyard to remind you then i think we've got an issue there but look at those values and start asking questions based around them and they're on your lanyard they're probably on the workers lanyard so when you pick that lanyard up and you look at it and you say you know we say that that our people are our most important asset i mean that's what this value says it's on your jewelry and my jewelry. How do we prove that to you? Mm. And then, then you're actually using that document. And guess what? When that worker has a concept, uh, has a conversation with a contractor on safety, they're going to pick up their lanyard and say, look, you know, we have this thing that we want to keep our people safe and you're our people. Mm. You may work for a different company, but you are our people. Yeah. You people are our greatest asset and we want to keep people safe. And you're our, 
and and those values-based conversations are very rich. We have. Um, I was just talking to somebody yesterday that is that that their utility CEO requires every Friday a debrief of the best values-based engagements of the week. Nice. And the people feel this is what the guy said to me yesterday the people feel so listened to so now okay. you've got 7000 people ish that that ceo would never touch understanding that he's listening through this mechanism mm -hmm. no cards no documentation just a, a a conveyance of the information to me that's lessons learned mm -hmm. not so here's valuable. the corrective actions from a from a learning team or here's the corrective actions from a root cause those aren't lessons learned we don't know if we learned those lessons lessons are learned when the organization changes their behaviors and there was something you said there about like living those kind of values and that you 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 said something that reminded me of something i heard the other day i was just I was just checking. I had his name right. His name was Andy Brown, uh, currently the CEO of the Portuguese energy company Galp, um, and he had he was talking about. It was on a podcast by Gil uh, Jill Kernit, and uh, it's called Catastrophe. It was episode three about water, and um, you said something there which reminded me of him, where you said like a leader just saying, you know, we we've said here people are our, are our utmost value, and they're talking to like a contractor who potentially, you know, is not our people, but ultimately they kind of are because we've subcontracted them. And, and yeah, he, we've sold our risk to them for the for the to the yeah, lowest bidder. Yeah, exactly that. And um, and this guy said a story which I thought was just so powerful that he um, they were essentially building this massive, um, what were they doing? They were mining for gas to turn it into petroleum, I think, if I remember rightly. Or no, is that right? Anyway, to turn into lubricants and stuff like that, whatever, yeah. right? And um, you can tell I've never worked in that in that space before, can't you? And uh, they, were, they were mining for gas and turning into nuclear energy. No, wait, that doesn't yeah. work. <laughs> Everybody in the oil and gas business just turned the podcast off. Hang in there with us, folks. Yeah, yeah. They're just like, <laughs> this guy, what the fuck is he on about? No, that is true. I've never worked in oil and gas. I have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they were mining for something. But to do this job, they actually first needed to build like this village, this town for all of the utilities and people to sleep and stay and whatever, right? And whilst they were doing that, they had a fatality of a subcontractor had a fatality and um, not a fatality, sorry, a serious injury, lost his arm. That was it. And um, the guy was in hospital and this guy was the CEO of the principal contractor so this guy that lost his arm or lost his hand was like three or four contractors down and the CEO went to see him in hospital. Yeah. And he said, all the other leaders had no choice because I'm not the direct employer of this person. And I went to see him and that made a very clear statement of how much I care. And, and that shows the power of, of modeling behaviors that you want in your organization, mm. as opposed to him uh, delegating that, you know, hey, Jill, you really need to go visit this individual to show that we care. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have, he didn't talk to anybody about that. 
That's an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He just he just went. Yeah. And and you know the the that's a, a modeled behavior that people don't have to explain. Mm. And then it then it diverges out into other things. Well, the CEO of our company went to went to make sure this individual and their family were okay and tell them we're going to get to the bottom of this, um, you know, and 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 become became empathetic to that individual and their family and their peers. I wonder if I'd need to do that on a first date mm. for someone in my group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder I, if I need to do that. Here's another, you know, full topic. I wonder if I need to do that related to the mental health of the people that, that I'm working with, especially in the in these days. How powerful is it to know that somebody cares for you? Do you know what I mean? Uh, it's just unbelievable, unbelievable. And, and I think, isn't it funny, Rob, that we've kind of, today we were talking about workforce <clears throat> buy-in and engagement with the concepts. And ultimately, we've come back around full circle to talk about leadership again. Because it all comes down to that. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there's really, in the grand scheme of things, you know, we talk about standardization. In the grand scheme of thing, things, you can pretty well standardize what the workers need to do, need <laughs> to know to do what they need to do to minimize probability and reduce risk. Yeah. It's the leaders that need their paradigm shifted mm. and everything else comes in behind it. I think it shows the, the, the importance of that kind of first episode that we did of you've got to start there um, because ultimately nothing else matters unless you get that nailed down. And that, that's a great point, James. You have to start there too many people, too many people think that that's a box that gets checked and then I move on and do the real stuff. Yeah. But really, once the leaders um, understand this piece, they're continually developing. Mm. You know, it, it's funny that that in places that the leaders integrated into the way they do business, they don't need refreshers and, you know, uh, uh, retraining and uh, mm. they don't need all that because they're using it every single day. Mm. So a refresher is now, what do we know now that we didn't know five years ago when we talked to y'all? Yeah. yeah. What's changed? Mm. Yeah. Rob, that was uh, really good and insightful. I think we should probably tie this in a loop mate and uh, maybe just kind of cl any closing points on that. And then, and then, um, and then probably move on to maybe a quick insight into what we're going to talk about in the next episode. And then finally, a little shout out to the company, Rob. Okay, great. So again, this workforce buy-in and engagement, um, we talk a lot about intentionality and, and leaders being intentional and the creation of intentional leaders. Mm -hmm. So we kept tying every topic, whether it's grounding in the science and making it practically applicable or, or debunking the myths, it's all grounded in this science that the leaders have to understand and be more than bought in, willing to drive it so that the workforce gets what they need. And, and then that engagement involves the workers in the process. Uh, but you have to open up to provide the engagement for that involvement. Involvement isn't, okay, we're going to assign you to this team. Engagement is, let's talk about this, see what I learn, Ask that worker, 
or that crew, if they can really explain how that how th this needs to be different to make their life and work better and safer. And then you take that and you integrate those concepts into the day-to-day -day work. It becomes how you do business. Yeah. And that kind of leads us to what we're going to talk about next time. And that's strategies for deployment. How do I make that work? So a little circle back to what we talked about. It's fine to say that there's some uniqueness to organizations. But that would be like saying you didn't need to teach someone how to swing a cricket bat before you teach them the rules of the game. There's fundamentals to every sport that people need to know. There's things that need to be done that will then determine whether you're going to be good or not good at it. You know, when I, when I was young, you can't tell it by looking at me, but I was a, but I was a, a um, nationally ranked volleyball player. And nice. I jumped high, I hit hard, I did it a lot, and I didn't retire until I was 45. So I did it for a long time. But there were fundamentals that you need to have down before you can expand into the intricacies. Mm. And deployment is about getting those fundamentals down. There's not a lot of variability in that. I love that. Yeah. Okay. And then, so you've got three elements education, people need to learn different things. Integration, you've got to put the concepts into the day to day workflow. And sustainability, we've now got to make this the way we do business. That's where the that's where the resiliency comes in. Is that if James goes away and he's my leader tomorrow, and and Jill comes in, that we have a plan for Jill understanding this is how we do business and why we do business that way. Mm. And Jill that is on board and may even bring some better ideas to the table on how that works. That's how you develop the capacity and resilience to become highly reliable. Mm. So in a lot of places, it's the highly reliable organization is the end goal. And what HOP does, if it's done right, is provide the process to create capacity and resilience that then result in high reliability in all the different things that you do. Because if you don't manage human error, you're not going to do that. Yeah. You've got to get those and foundations in. Exactly. It so, makes me um, think of um, your example, makes me think of one, my example, which actually reflecting on it made me think, oh, actually, I wonder how much of it I use. Like, I spent a very long time practicing martial arts. Um, and, and it made me think back to that in the, how many years painstakingly doing the basics of the forms and the really boring shit to then find out actually those were all teaching me the things that I needed to do in that really cool shit that I got to do, you know, I don't know, seven years later, for example. Yeah. Um, Does anybody get a brown belt without learning a kata? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah exactly. And why do we do katas? I'm, I'm just using karate as one. Why do we do katas? Because they start to develop an understanding of the way our bodies move. Mm. An understanding of the fundamentals that mm. are then going to be used later in certain combinations. Every sport is that way. Mm. Every, you know, it's so you can, you if you start to relate it that way to people, then 
people start to understand why they need to shift that paradigm just a little. You didn't walk in the room and say, well, yesterday I thought that all humans were perfect and now I find they're fallible. I mean, every now and then somebody says that, but, but you know, where you've got the leader, I've, I've told the story before and I won't tell. Now you've got the leader that was kicking off a worker human performance class and kicked it off as saying, let me tell you about the error I made last year, implying he made only one. Just one, <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah. say, wow. You so, are you know, so fallible. <laughs> yeah, little things about the uh, about the way, you know, there are some subtleties to performance modes that really are important, but most people miss them. That's why I wrote the book, right? Because most people miss the subtleties of, of performance modes that make them work. Mm -hmm. So they abandon them because they don't work all that good under the description they learned. When they learn the description that works, they go, oh, how did I not know that in 40 years? Yeah. yeah. So, awesome. um, you want to give a shout out to, um, to your kind of company and, and the stuff you're doing, Rob, before we tie it up? Sure. Sure. Two, two websites. You can go to improvewithfit.com. That's our company website. But probably as powerful, all the things that we talk about and what we'll talk about next week, we have free snippets, free little videos online. In a, in a, uh, it's called Fit Online. Online.improvewithfit.com. You can join that for free, and there's probably 200 less than five minute videos, speeches, webinars. You know, the speech and webinars are longer. There's some paid stuff on there, but but I don't care as much about that. If you want to know some of these, you know, if you want to dive into any of these topics, then you can go on and watch a video. And let's say your crew or your area or your manager isn't listening to you. You can pull up a Rob Servation and say, well, watch this. Watch this Rob Servation on the essential leadership side. Or Rob listen to this podcast. I love it. Rob Servation. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. I don't even know how many Rob observations we've got out there, but there was a there was a while we were creating three, four, five a week. You know, I'm kind of jealous. I'm not called Rob, so that I can't have Rob observations. <laughs> and 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 really, Rob observations are what I've seen over 30 years, and then how it ties into the subjects that and concepts that we have to talk about. Hmm. Um, but you can join that for free. You never have to pay anything. It's a perpetual license to use it but there's also an area in there to network. So if you, you watch something and say, well, this is BS, I, I learned it this way. Go into the network piece, ask a question, and a whole bunch of people will then get involved in that conversation. Hmm. So it's kind of a holistic place for networking, education, snippets. Uh, you know, we have, we have now, now companies have figured out that they can uh, do a safety moment by a supervisor be, being on their phone and bringing up the observation on uh, on trust, and saying, "Okay, today we're going to have a, a three minute safety moment on trust." They show that observation, and then they ha they have a safety discussion about it, mm. and it didn't cost anybody anything. So um, we're very proud of what we're trying to put out there to help the general public, because again, if seventy five or eighty percent of people 
that uh, that die in accidents or incidents, die at home instead of at work, being able to have these snippets out there so that small companies and individuals and and people that do hazardous things at home have that as an asset is is good. So mm-hmm. online.improvewithfit.com is the website and join it for free and then use all the benefits. Nice one. Thank you very much, Rob. I'll put the, um, the, the website in the show notes and description below so everyone can, uh, can get that nice and easy as well. Thank you very much for your time again, Rob, and um, look forward to session three. It's been great. One. I'm looking forward to it. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. Okay, peeps, hope you enjoyed that conversation. That was part two of our conversation with our quarterly co-host, Rob Fisher. Hope you enjoyed it. I've been loving talking to Rob. It's been great fun so far. Looking forward to part three, the last one, unfortunately, of our quarterly co-host. We're going to tie all this in a loop and we're going to have a real good conversation about the final step um, to get started in this kind of new view um, way of working. So if you enjoyed that episode, please don't forget to hit subscribe. If you listen on a podcast, don't forget to leave us a rate and review. That really, really helps us grow, um, which then ultimately really, really helps us create more and better content for you as well. So please do that. Um, and if you can think of maybe one person that might enjoy this episode, please share it with them as well. Just a final shout out to uh, the official sponsors of podcasts and YouTube channel. Rebound and Safety is Paradigm Human Performance and their HSE subscription service. Don't forget to go check them out on the website below and also their webinar as well. Great resource full of amazing content. And also don't forget to check out Project Meletium, mine and Colin Nottage's company focused on mastermind community, focused on building a better safety profession. Hope to see you next week. Safe. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily reflect the position of the companies. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are examples only based on limited and dated open source information and should not be utilised in real life as the only solution available. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the companies. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic or otherwise, without prior written permission from James McPherson. Thank <laughs> you.